Good morning, everybody. Are we ready to go this morning? I'm ready to go. I'm excited. This is, uh, this, I expect this one to be a good one too, Albert. Thank you. I appreciate the pressure. Um, so today is week two in our Ordo Salutis. It's Latin for the order of salvation. Uh, we're looking at all the components of salvation, how they line up, what they uh, are, who does them, um, who's responsible for it, how it works, how it integrates together, what the big picture is, and my hope at the end of this series is that you look at everything that God is doing and you go, wow, that's just absolutely amazing because God is so big and has loved us for so long and has gone to such great lengths to chase us down and just smother us with his love um, that it is unbelievable. So we're starting in the month of October with the commencing. These are all the things that happened before what we consider to be the moment of salvation. Um, in November, we'll look at all the stuff that happens at the moment of salvation. And then after uh, will be December, all the things that, uh, that the completing part of salvation. So I want to run through some words for you real quick. This isn't on your handout, but this is my overview of the whole series. So here we go. Foreknowledge is God foresees. This is what we looked at last week. This is the thing that very few people have any challenge with whatsoever, the idea that God is smart enough to know all things at all time, right? We're kind of, we get this. This is pretty straightforward. The second is predestination. This is God bounds. Predestination is a surveying term in the New Testament, and it basically means that God put boundaries around what was salvation, okay? Today, we're going to be talking about election, and this is God choosing. Uh, this is going to... This is going to be very challenging from a technical standpoint. Some of you are already giving me the evil eye like, uh-oh, where are we going with this? Yes, we're going there. Okay? We're going to hit it head on. We're going to look at exactly what the scripture says. I said something off the cuff last week that I really liked and I didn't plan on saying, but I think I'm going to say it every single week, and that's I reserve the right to have my theology changed by what the Bible says as we go through this series. Um, and it was just kind of off the cuff, and I didn't even think about when I said it, but Tim Archer had such a great reaction when I said it. It was like, well, that's a neat idea. And I thought, well, that is a good idea, isn't it? I, sh I really like that. I should say that every time. So I'm going to try to say that every time. And, and so here's the reality is that I was brought up a very specific way, walking down a very specific path of theology in this space, specifically on today's lesson. Uh, and I have always kind of just assumed that was true and just went along with it and no problem and never really studied it at all. Um, and I studied it a lot this week and read a whole lot of stuff and probably read, I don't know, 12 or 1,500 pages on this topic and all the things around it and different people's views. And um, It's hard and really complicated, okay? So we'll start with that. And we'll also say that there are people that I love that I wholeheartedly, completely agree will be in heaven that are on both sides of this election issue. And for me... To a certain degree, it's an open-handed issue. And some of you are going to, it's going to drive you completely nuts that I say that. That's okay. We'll talk through why that's okay. And there's a it's a long series, okay? We'll circle back and touch on this concept as we go through. So, foreknowledge, God foresees. Predestination, God bounds. Election, God chooses. Sin, man misses. Atonement, God fixes. Propitiation, God satisfies. Evangelism, man shares. Conviction, God pricks. Calling, God draws. Repentance, man turns. Faith, man believes. Conversion, God changes. Regeneration, God rebirths. Justification, God decrees. Redemption, 
God buys. Adoption, God fathers. Reconciliation, God restores. Sanctification, God morphs. Mortification, man kills. Evidence, man works. Perseverance, God keeps. Eternal security, God secures. And glorification, God perfects. So that's the whole arc of all the stuff that is going on. And if you're looking at me going, oh my gosh, that's a lot. Yes, it is. It has taken God all of human history to be pulling this off, and it's not done yet. So the best is yet to come. So today, week two of the four-week commencing part. So we're looking at election. So the shorter definition, this is a joke to the catechisms, by the way. In case those of you that are familiar with the catechisms, the shorter catechisms, the longer ones. So internal joke. If you didn't get that, that's totally okay. Shorter definition is God chooses. The longer definition, election is God before time began, choosing for himself who would be his. Now, I was very specific in the way that I wrote this. This definition could be agreed to by Arminians, and it could be agreed to by Calvinists. This is a broad enough definition to include both. So this was extremely challenging for me to write one that would do that, but I think, it's, uh, I think there are tenets of both that are very good. So what we're going to do every single week is we're going to look at the words that are used in the New Testament for each one of these concepts. The first word is Strong's 1586. Uh, this is a verb. Uh, the word is eklegomai. Eklegomai. Okay? The pronunciation and spelling will be on the test at the end. Jesse, I expect you to do very well on that. Eklegomai means... You're on fall break, yes. Studying never stops, son. It's okay. Eklegomai means to pick or choose for oneself. There is a difference in picking... Just for picking's sake, I thought that was funny, but I guess not. Um, so I have, do you remember how I started this, the Sunday School series last week? I started the Sunday School series by opening up my umbrella and saying, my umbrella has a problem. And this umbrella is reflective of many of our theologies in that it's missing some pieces, right? It's got some gaps. It's still structurally, I guess you could call it an umbrella, it's kind of weak, right? So I just picked an umbrella for myself, for a purpose, for myself. This is eklamegai, okay? This is the word, is what it means. There are other umbrellas that I have that are a little more covering, right? It's more like a helicopter, but um, it's got a little more here. So eklamegai, again, I picked it for myself, all right? This is not eklamegai. Albert, help me out. I want you to pick that one up. That is not eklamegai. That is not me picking it for myself. That's me picking it for someone else. This word is me picking it for me because I want it, because I'm going to do something with it. It's a little bit different than just the generic word for choose. So I've got certain... Thank you, Albert. You may put it down. I appreciate that. It's a pretty easy illustration, right? It's probably like the easiest one I've ever asked anybody to do. So there's got a bunch of words... Did you get the blank? To pick or choose for oneself. All right, so you see all the verses there. All those verses are everywhere in the New Testament where this word shows up. It's a lot. It happens a lot. The easiest one to kind of illustrate what's going on with this word is Luke 6, 13. And when it was day, he, with capital H, who are we talking about? Jesus, right? He called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles, which almost implies, and I think it's true, 
that there were more than 12 disciples at this time, and he selected from the larger group 12 to be closer than the others. Jesus himself did this. Okay, so this is the word that's used here. He chose. Is it his right to choose? Absolutely. So one of the things that I want to remember, and I need to say out loud to help me remember, as we go through this, is that God is just and right in all that he does. And that many, many, many times we take the scripture and we open it up and we read it through our lens of what we expect from God, as opposed to letting God explain to us who he is and how he behaves. And he doesn't always act like we think he would act. Right? Have you ever noticed this? When Jesus showed up, he didn't fit the mold that they had. Because if he'd have fit the mold that they had, he'd have had thousands and thousands of followers. If he'd have fit the mold that they had for him, he'd have led an uprising against Rome, established a political kingdom, and ruled and reigned right there on the spot. But that wasn't what he was supposed to be doing at that time. It was something different. So many times we put on God expectations that he has not communicated about himself to us for that time. Does that make sense? All right. So Acts 13, 17. Is that the next verse? Yes. Nope. Not the next verse. I'm sorry. This is why I use the iPad. I wrote notes on this this morning. Yes. Acts 13, 17. That's the next one. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. Who's speaking here in Acts 13? Does anybody know? It's the middle of a sermon. Pretty good guess. Peter or Paul, right? You're going to get one of those two. Yes. That's, uh, uh, Mary was not speaking here. This is not somebody else's music group. Yes, this is actually Peter speaking here. Um, and he's talking about the fact that God... I thought that was really funny. And Sean just didn't even hardly crack a joke. So. Oh, okay. I got an Oh, that's all right. So you remember in reading through the Old Testament that Israel was God's blank nation. What goes in the blank? Chosen nation. So here's my question for you. Why did God choose Israel? Why didn't he choose the Canaanites or the Hittites or the Moabites or the Hivites or the, any others? Because it suited his purpose because he wanted to. And God is completely right and just to pick and choose any that he desires. And he decided to set his favor and his blessing and his chosenness, if that's a word, on Israel. And he did. And he drug them out of all sorts of things, did he not? And they would kick and pull and do everything they could do to wallow around in the mud of disobedience. And he would pick them up and wash them off and walk with them again. And they would wallow around and he would pick them up and wash them off and walk with them again. And it was this beautiful, relentless relationship that God would not let them go. Right? And we could look at that and go, well, yeah, that's special. It's just for Israel. God never behaves that way in anything else. Yeah, he does. He does all the time. Beautiful. You ever heard the story of Noah? You know the story of Noah. You know the story. It's awesome. Um, My daughter is taking Chandelier and Keith's uh, Sunday school class right now, and they are learning Bible study methods. They're actually, uh, Keith and Chandelier are walking them through Rick Warren's Bible study methods book. I love it. It's fantastic. One of the weeks is drawing a picture and telling the story. They picked Noah's Ark. So Anna Grace read the story and drew the picture. And she drew the picture that hangs in almost every nursery in every Bible-believing church in America. 
and it is a heinously heretical, idiotic, completely wrong pictorial representation of the story of Noah's Ark. It is awful. Ugh. When we were at the Chattanooga campus, I taught the story of Noah's Ark, and we went on a field trip in the middle of the class. I don't know if anybody remember the field trip that we went on. I think anybody was there. You remember the field trip, Jules? It was awesome. We went on a field trip, took the whole class down to the nursery, and we stared at this picture, and was like, so what's wrong with this picture? We did it with David and Goliath, too. Did we do it in David and Goliath? Or it was David and Goliath. Yeah, I got my stories mixed up. But we, we have this really spectacularly bad art, and it ingrains, and we think, oh, it's just, that's okay, they're kids, they don't get it. My daughter's 12, and she's in the gifted class. She's really, really smart, and she totally ignored what was in the words of Scripture, and she drew exactly what she recalled seeing on the walls of churches. And it was wrong. And if you pick up a children's Bible, and please be careful with these things, guys. Please be careful with watering down the Scripture. They just, just get them the real thing. Teach them to eat meat. It's okay. If you pick up a children's Bible, it will almost always, almost always tell the story, and it will say, and Noah was good, and God chose Noah. And da 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 And that is not the story of Noah. The reason God picked Noah is because God is good, not because Noah was good. Noah was a sinner, just like we're all sinners. He was the best sinner after God picked him, but it doesn't say anything about his goodness before God picked him. He was bad. Now, some of you are going, that's not what I was taught. I know, I know. But we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. That means every single word is inspired, not just the thought, not the concept. And if we believe every word's inspired, that means we believe every order of every word is inspired. The order on this stuff matters. So, Acts 13, 17 Full circle back to the verse. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. So Peter speaking. Peter was a Jew. God chose those fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. So who did the work here? God did the work. Now, as we go through this Ordo Salutis and talk about each one of these concepts of salvation, we're going to assign each one either to the work of God. It's called um, monergistic. Yes, I got the word right. It's a tough one to say. Or the work of man, synergistic, that we work with God to do this piece. There are some of these things that God alone does, right? I didn't have any part in foreknowledge. God didn't look at me before the creation of the world and put me into existence and go, Jim, you okay with me knowing all things at all time? Yep, okay, great. I'm going to make you go away again. And then when you come back thousands of years later, then you're okay with it. That's, that's all God, right? Election is all God. We didn't have anything to do with his election of us. So Ephesians 1.4, I think that's the next verse that I've written out for you. Just as he chose us, in him. So we're getting more specific now. It was, we were talking about Israel. God chose Israel. We're okay with that. Now we're, we're getting a little more specific. God chose us. So he's writing to believers in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that kind of goes, all right, well, God chose us. Okay. We okay with that so far? Some of you are going, I think I see where you're going with this, and I don't like where the ending is. Hang tight. 
I'll do is reading Bible verses. So this is eklamegai. This is the verb. This word is the root for the other two words that we're going to look at. So the next one is Strong's 1855. This is the adjective. It's eklektos. It's picked out or chosen. And many times this word in the New Testament is used synonymously with the word Christian. It basically just means those that are saved. Almost every time you see this word used, you can replace it with the saved. And it makes perfect sense. Fits the meaning of the word the whole time. Nine yards. So this is to picked out or chosen. Um, here we go. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. Which makes sense because Jesus said these words. And he called many to follow him, but he only chose 12 to walk very, very closely. So you could use it in a literal sense that way. Jesus is using it in a much broader um, soteriological, I think, is the way to say that, sense in salvation world to say that many are called. God draws many, but few are chosen. Now, this is my fundamental challenging problem with true all-in five-point Calvinism. Okay, is the many are called but few are chosen. And we'll talk about this much, much more in later weeks. But this is a challenging verse for me in this space. So many are called but few are chosen. Next verse I've got listed is 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we looked at this word uh, last week, actually, because it has the word for, this verse has the word foreknowledge in it. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So now we've gone from God chose the nation of Israel to God chose us. So now Peter's saying, me to you, the pilgrims of these specific Churches, So we're getting more and more specific with this concept. Okay? You see how we're narrowing this word? It can be used very broadly. It can be used very narrowly. Okay. Then we come to Strong's 1589. Oh, I meant to point something out in the First Peter 1, 1 through 2. This named individuals is the difference in the word predestination, which bounds off what all of salvation is. An election which is getting very, very specific with people. Okay? Many times you'll, you'll hear the words predestination and election used interchangeably. They're not exactly the same thing. And I say they're not the same thing because there's actually different words for them. If they were the same thing, they'd be the same word spelled the same way. Duh. Right? I have to say these things to make it make sense for myself. So, All right. So Strong's 1589. The Greek word is uh, ekloge. And this is the act of picking out. This is the noun part. Choosing a thing or person. A thing or person chosen. So this is the act of picking out or choosing a thing or person chosen. And the root word for this is, again, the verb that we first looked at. So a good verse on this is Romans 9.11. A good chapter on this is Romans 9. So part of your homework here. Yes, we have homework. This is school, right? Sunday school. You have homework to read Romans 9. If you want to get extra credit, read all of Romans. It helps immensely in this space. Because Paul lays out this beautifully logical argument that attempts to put all of this in some type of a structure. 
It is a challenging read. You may be confronted with something that you may not have believed before. I am every time I read the book of Romans. It takes me upside the head and whacks me with the logic two by four until I'm beaten into a better understanding of what God is actually doing in the universe. It's very painful. But Romans 9-11. This is actually just a parenthetical. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to, there it is, the word election, might stand. Does, do you think this word implies that if God elects one to be saved, that they will be saved? How many yes? How many of you know? How many of you not really sure? A lot of not sures? Yeah. Um, I want to draw attention to this verse for one reason and one reason only. I want you to go, what? And I want you to go read Romans 9. I'm not explaining it to you today. I want you to go read Romans 9. Okay? We do not have time to do it. If Sunday school was nine hours long, we would have time to go through Romans chapter 9. Okay? I think I would need that much time. Um, Romans eleven seven. the next verse in the, the list there. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. What? Really? Are you telling me that some will understand and be saved and some will not understand and will not be saved? Yes. Does God know? Absolutely. He knows all things, guys. This is not too complicated for him. Remember the piece of paper that we dropped last week? Daniel, did you finish your calculations on that, by the way? Are you ready to give me a better answer this week on where the paper's going to land? Because I really expected more. I mean, you've got all this knowledge, and you, you couldn't even tell me what, what square it was going to land in. I mean, come on. Yeah, the, knowing these types of things is not too hard for God. God's got that. So Romans eleven twenty eight, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. This is where it starts to get really, really, uh, where my brain starts to hurt. Because there are people that are our enemies right now in the spiritual sense in that they are not part of the kingdom of God that will be saved, that one day will be our brothers and sisters, that will no longer be our enemies. And that's awesome, right? Because the kingdom gets bigger. One of the beautiful things about the universe, you know how the universe works? So God spoke and the universe sprang, it's like the, there's a verse, and I think it's in Isaiah, where it says he flung back the curtains, right? And the universe is expanding. You know, the universe is still expanding today. It, right now, the universe is expanding in every possible direction. Right now. New things are still being created, guys. We can't even see them yet. We'll never see them because the light's going that way. <laughs> this is how amazing God is. The kingdom of God is much like the universe. It's expanding. It's growing. It's going in all sorts of directions. It's going in places that we never would have thought it would go. Because that raging pagan that we thought would never see and understand God's grace accepted Christ. And we go, this is wonderful. 
because the kingdom is expanding. Is this not amazing stuff? You thought this was going to be a boring series, didn't you? A bunch of words and a bunch of verses and a bunch of Greek stuff. No, this is awesome. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So he equates brethren with election. Okay? So if you're in the body of Christ, you have been elected. This is how it was taught to me when I was very young. Salvation is a door that you walk through. This is the uh, John R. Rice example, for those of you who know John R. Rice. Um, it's a brilliantly simple. John R. Rice never did anything complicated. It was wonderful. It's one of the reasons I love to listen to his sermons. Because any, maybe even dull five-year-old, I don't know, but any five-year-old could really understand this. You open the door. Actually, so I think he, his analogy probably has flaws. I think God opens the door and, and maybe kind of pushes or drags me through. I'm not sure. And you turn around and you look on the other side of the door. I'm now in the kingdom of God. And the door frame on this side says, you are elected. It's beautiful. Now, the reality is, on standing on this side of the door frame, I was still elected. I was. He knows this. I don't know how he knows this. How does God take my free will into account in all of this and know exactly what I'm going to choose before I choose it and still be confident in the knowledge that he is right in all things? I don't know. But he does. He's got all this figured out. It is exceedingly, abundantly more complex than we can ever ask or imagine. We're not even smart enough to know what heaven looks like. Right? You know the verse that says we, we can't even imagine, we don't have the capacity to imagine how wonderful heaven will be. How do come we think that we have the capacity to understand the complexity of the plan of redemption over all time? I got challenged with my own arrogance this week as studying this information. Because I kept looking at it going, I ought to be able to figure this out. This ought to be able to have an answer. I want to solve for X, dad blame it. And here's the answer. So here's the reality, guys. God's a lot smarter than us. And the plan that he has put together to pull all this off is right and holy and just in exactly the way it's supposed to be. And he is right and holy and just in whatever he does. And if he has decided to choose people for salvation before the beginning of the foundation of the world, then that is right and holy and just. And if he has decided that this is what salvation is defined as, and he knows who is going to step into this space or believe into this space, because stepping would be works, if he knows who's going to believe into this space, and he's defined it that way, then he is holy and right and just in what he does. Whether Arminianism is true or Calvinism is true, God is right and true and just. Okay? Whatever our understanding is, it is always and only ever going to be imperfect. I'm going to say that again. Our understanding is always and only ever going to be imperfect. At best, we will never get it right. There has been one person on the planet Earth that has ever walked that had perfect theology. His name was Jesus, and we nailed him to a tree because we didn't like his theology. The rest of us get it wrong, period. Now, hopefully, we've got the big rocks in the jar, right? But there's some stuff that we're going to get wrong. So, there's one other word, Strong's 4899. I don't even think I put it on your handout, did I? It shows up one time. It's syneclectos. It's a compound word. Uh, it's 1 Peter 5.13, um, and it just means, it's a, it's a, it means with and the root word. So, it shows up one time. It's not 
for in this construct, it's not overly significant. So the different perspectives. I've talked about them, so we'll talk about the terms that you may hear out somewhere else. So the different perspectives. Number one is Arminian. This is from uh, Jacobus Arminius. This is conditional election. Conditional election. I'll read you the full quote and then I'll condense it. This is something he wrote. That God, by an eternal, unchangeable purpose in Jesus Christ, his Son, before the foundation of the world, hath determined out of the fallen, sinful race of man, here's the key, to save in Christ, for Christ's sake, and through Christ, those who, the, through the grace of the Holy Ghost, shall believe on this his Son, Jesus Christ. So, Arminians would absolutely believe in election. Election is true in Arminian theology. Arminian theology says God has elected those that will be saved. Not by name, necessarily, but those that will be saved. It's called the uh, uh, principal election of Jesus. So God has elected Jesus and anyone that he has with him to be saved. Okay? Does this make sense? All right. I'm going to read you a statement from the Baptist Faith and Message. This is the document that we adhere to from a theological perspective in the Southern Baptist Convention. Election is the gracious purpose of God, according to which he regenerates, justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies sinners. It is consistent with the free agency of man. I always think of football there, sorry. Um, and comprehends all the means in connection with the end, which means it's all in, right? Everything is included. It is the glorious display of God's sovereign goodness and is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. It excludes boasting and promotes humility, right? Because if I believe that... God elected me, then it sure isn't about me, right? It actually becomes far less about me than any other theology that I can put around it because God picked, okay? Does this make sense? All right, so we'll switch to a Calvinistic view. This is unconditional election. So the conditional election in the Arminian view is that God will elect those who are saved, Okay? In the unconditional election, this is what John Calvin wrote, by predestination, he used the terms interchangeably, we mean the eternal decree of God by which he determined with himself, I like that, he made up the decision with himself, because there's a trinity, there's a conversation, there's a oneness, but a plurality, I don't know how that works, but uh, he determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. Now, the way Calvin wrote this is what we call today double predestination. And you're going, Jim, you just made it really hard. No, I didn't. Don't worry. Predestination is, uh, if you choose the term interchangeably with election, is some will be saved. Double predestination is some will be saved and some will be lost by the decree of God. Now, this to me is going too far from a, what does the Bible teach? All right, we're going to look at a lot of different things, but to say that God created some for the purpose of damnation, to me, does not seem consistent with what I know about God. But again, I will say, I reserve the right to have my theology changed based on what the Word of God says. So that's a, an extrapolation in taking what Calvin said kind of to the nth degree versus taking what uh, Arminius said to the nth degree. You know where the five points of Calvinism came from? Anybody know? John Calvin. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, I totally set myself up for that one, didn't I? Yes, I did. 
Uh, actually, they were a rebuttal to five points of Arminian theology that were developed that were pretty solid points. And there were several people that said, I don't agree with those. We should have our own five. So they got their own five. And they were better at branding. And they came up with TULIP. And we remember TULIP. And nobody knows about the five Arminian points because they didn't have a good branding. So branding's important. All right. All right, so the understanding. Here's the bottom line. Are we ready? Before time began, God picked both the method of salvation and the participants in salvation. That's what happened. Now, you can read that, and you can be Arminian, and you can read that, and you can be Calvinistic. If you're Arminian, you say that God picked Jesus, and whoever believes in him... That's in. Or you can say God picked individuals. I'm leaning toward the individual side after reading all these verses and all this stuff this week. I'm not ready to put both feet over there, but I'm leaning over the fence looking at that ground. So we'll see. So the monergistic and the synergistic columns. So who does what here, right? So predestination and election and foreknowledge are all in the performed by God. He does all this. That's all his. And the thing that I think you'll see is that everything good that happens in salvation is on the God side of the equation. We bring a couple things into the equation, namely sin, that has to be fixed, and anything that we do that's good is a result of God empowering us to do it that's good. So it's one of those, you mean we're bad and God's good? Yeah, a whole lot, a whole lot, okay? So at the bottom are some additional links. These are some really good articles that I read. Uh, the first is John Wesley. He's kind of the, the epitome of uh, Arminian theology. Okay? He kicked off uh, the Methodist movement, and he, he really he was a pretty good speaker, but he was a much better organizer. And when he died, the Methodist church was born. And he actually kind of kicked it off while they were going. But uh, Wayne Gruden, uh, really good theologian, modern guy. Uh, very, very, very much on the Calvinistic side. John Piper, very much on the Calvinistic side. John MacArthur, anybody know which side he's on? No, he's a five-point Calvinist. He is. Yep, he sure is. Um, and he's written a whole lot of really well-written stuff about this. And then Ron Hale. How many of you have ever heard of Ron Hale? I'd never heard of Ron Hale. He wrote a great article about the streams of theology that exist within the Southern Baptist Convention, the history of both, how they have merged, and how they have been able to survive together in Southern Baptist theology. It was a remarkably simple, well-written, short work, two, three pages long, that I thought was very helpful for me, being in a Southern Baptist church, to know this is kind of what's happened over time in this space. Because quite honestly, I don't go sit around and read books about stuff that happened 150 years ago in theology. Not what I do. So, next week we get to sin, and we get to atonement, and we get to propitiation. And if you think I made up a word there, I didn't make up a word. Propitiation is a real word, and we'll learn more about that next week. So, thanks for coming.